Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. Uh, We'll be continuing our look at the prologue and specifically looking at verses 6 to 13 this morning. Uh, Let us ask God to bless his word. Father, we thank you for the time that we have been able to spend this morning singing praises to you and, and grieving in Christ and rejoicing in Christ and remembering your work and and singing from our hearts and thanksgiving for it. And now we rejoice this morning that we can come and study your word in a a bit more detail, Father. And we pray, um, O Holy Spirit, that you would bless the preaching of your word and the hearing of it by your children. And may we be strengthened by it and equipped by it and, and admonished by it and really sanctified by it for the glory of your name. We pray. Amen. So last week we looked at verses 1 to 5, in which John set really, as I said, the tone for the gospel and really the key to understanding it. This this 1 to 5 was really, if you're going to understand the gospel of John, you must understand this point that John laid out. Uh, The key... Uh, rests in what we've talked about already this morning, in the nature of Jesus as the eternal word. Jesus is one with the Father from eternity past. Jesus did not begin to be. He was. Always. Our Lord, Jesus, was always there with the Father. Jesus was himself active in creation. John says in verses 1 to 5 that the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so if we are to understand the glory and power of the gospel that John is going to be telling us about, we must begin here in the beginning. And so John arrests his readers with this truth at the very outset. And so I'd ask you this morning, how about you? Has that truth that Jesus is God Almighty, one with the Father, always there, never had a beginning, has that gripped your hearts? Does it grip your heart at all, or do you just sort of pass over it? That the Lord Jesus, here, and put the gospel in this context, okay? The Lord Jesus who lived, suffered, and was crucified on the cross, and was buried and rose again, did so to redeem sinners who receive him and believe on him. It should grip our hearts this morning because it reminds us at the outset that the gospel is not, as many understand or or even want to belittle the gospel, the gospel is not that a good and innocent man bled and died for guilty people. I'll say that again. The gospel is not that a good and innocent man bled and died for guilty people. The good news is not that God allowed 
an innocent man to die for guilty men. The gospel begins with a much more astounding truth. That God became man to redeem sinners who had sinned against him. God was the one offended by our sin. And God gave himself for the offenders. The holy creator gave himself for his sinful creatures, that their guilt might be taken away. That is how God loves, and it is a love unlike any love ever seen among mankind. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he, God Almighty, Lay down his life for us. Romans 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we, were, we sang that hymn, And Can It Be? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And so this is where John began his gospel. And now in verse 6, John turns his attention to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on the stage of human history. And he's really beginning here where the other Gospels begin with Jesus' public ministry, and that is with John the Baptist. And so let us hear, um, let us hear how John puts it. We'll read verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, 
He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. And so John begins here to draw our attention to John the Baptist. Now, like I said in the beginning, in the introduction, you'll never see the writer refer to himself in this book as John. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he can simply refer to John the Baptist as John, right? Because John is writing it, and he knows he doesn't need to call, he doesn't want to call himself by name, but all he needs to do is say the name John, and everyone knows he's talking about John the Baptist, right? And so he begins with John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, and he tells us first that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. That means he was a man assigned to a specific task. He was what you might say the last in the line of the Old Testament prophets. So like Moses was called in Exodus 3.15 and like that beautiful passage of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, John the Baptist was called and sent to proclaim God's message to his people. But he had a privilege that the other prophets didn't have. While the other prophets proclaimed the coming Messiah the coming of Jesus and the promised Redeemer into the world and looked forward to his coming, John, who was also a prophet of that nature to proclaim God's word, he was also the one who was able to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah into the world. The arrival of Jesus Christ into the world is what John the Baptist had the privilege of proclaiming Jesus was here. And you know that he actually, in one sense, even in the womb of his mother, before he was even born, when Jesus, in the, in the belly of his mother Mary and John in his mother, that when they came close to each other, John leapt. He leapt. Like, already he's there And he wants to proclaim Jesus' arrival. And so this is the purpose that he served. And so we're going to see John's ministry and what John did later on in this chapter in verses 19 to 34. But we really get a marvelous summary of the fruitfulness of his ministry in John 10, 40 to 42. And I'm just going to read that for you. John 10, 40 to 42 Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, this is, they came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. You see, John was used of God to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. He was sent from God that all might believe in Christ through him in his ministry, and that's exactly what God did with John the Baptist. 
And so John the Baptist understood that his mission was not about him. And John, the gospel writer, notes that he himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And that really is the point of John's gospel, as we noted. The gospel is filled from this point on with others who testify to this about Jesus. It's, it's all about Christ, about the light of the world. We are bearing witness not to ourselves, but we are bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done to redeem sinners. This is why you'll see as we go through the Gospel of John that the Samaritan woman is another one who testifies about Jesus. In John 4, 39, says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. We will see the works of Jesus testify to his deity, to him as the Messiah. John 5, 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 10, 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. We even see God the Father bear witness to Jesus in John 5, 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. That's verse 37. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. The Old Testament bears witness to Christ as the Redeemer and as God. John 5, 39, verses 5 to 39 to 40 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come that you may have life. John tells us how the crowds bore witness to Jesus in John 12, 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The Holy Spirit and the apostles bore witness to Christ, the Redeemer, as God. John 15, 26 to 27 but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And finally, Jesus and the Father together bear witness. John eight thirteen to 18. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Isn't that awesome? It is so awesome when you read the Gospel of John and you read over and over and over again that it is given to us as confirmation that Jesus alone is the true light of the world which gives light to everyone. John the Baptist was a man sent from God to be the first to bear witness to the world regarding this truth about Jesus Christ. Whatever one thought of John the Baptist, as great as he was among men born of God, John the Baptist, as John the Gospel writer tells us here, he was not the light. And this is important for you and me to remember, isn't it? You are and me are not the true light of the world. The reason it's important for us to remember that is because, and especially I'll admit as a, as a preacher and one who proclaims God's word and many of you ministering out there to the unsaved, we are prone to look to others, even celebrity pastors and people that are famous, and we're prone to look to others, and we're prone to want others to look to us and to be occupied with us. Is that not a temptation that you see manifested in the world like crazy? What is all of Facebook based off of? The whole idea of Facebook and social media and all of these things, the whole thing is preoccupied with people that want others to be preoccupied with them. That is our temptation as sinners. We like to be admired. We like to be well thought of. And we are troubled when we are offended or ignored by someone else. We are troubled when people don't pay attention to us. When people don't exalt us and lift us up and praise us and pat us on the back, and we are troubled by that because we want to be recognized. And we want to be seen. And we want to be elevated in our sinful natures. But what we see here with John the Baptist is he didn't think like that at all. John the Baptist said, when others were rushing to Jesus, the true light of the world, he said, when his disciples were troubled, I must, he must increase, and I must decrease. John says later in chapter 1, verse 27, when he's speaking of Jesus, who is come into the world, John says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Are you worthy of standing next to Jesus and sharing in his glory? 
John says, no. I am not the light. I can't even untie the sandal strap of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why in verse 9, true light is emphasized in verse 9. When he uses the word true, alethenos there, it means real or genuine. It, It can even lean toward this sense of the ultimate. So John uses the word in this gospel, the word for true. He'll use it when he talks about true worshipers, the true vine, the true bread from heaven, the true God. And many will come claiming to be the true light of God, and Satan himself comes as an angel of light. I mean, you see that in this world. Many people claim to be the true light of God. Satan himself does. And they will exalt themselves. But there is only one true light. There is only one who is worthy of having himself being us bearing witness to. There is only one who is the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises of God. There is one genuine, real, ultimate light. And he's the true light. It is Christ. D.A. Carson in his commentary wrote, wrote this, which I thought was really well said. He says, the manna provided in the Old Testament was genuinely from God. But Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Israel was God's chosen vine, but Jesus himself is the locus and stock of God's covenant community, and we are the branches. The law and wisdom give light, but the word who came into the world is the light, the true light, the genuine and ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. John the Baptist bore witness to him. And so he came into this fallen world. So you'll see that in verse 9 there. The true light, which gives light to everyone, and we'll talk about that in a moment, was coming into the world. So the first thing you have to understand here about this use of the word world The emphasis is not on the entire universe. So we already looked at verse 3 last week. Remember when it says, uh, without him was not anything made that was made. And that was talking about the entire universe, everything in the world. Everything not in the world, in the universe, including the world. What he's talking about here when he says, he came into the world, it's It's on the fact that the word came specifically to enter into the created order among human beings and within human affairs that are in rebellion against God. This is is the concept of world that is being used here. It's used not in a positive or a neutral sense, but it's being used in a negative sense as in this world system that we live in. That's how he's using it. To come among rebellious people in a world that is corrupt and and in sin. Jesus came into this world. And he who made the world, the universe, he also made, even though this world is fallen that we live in, 
He made this world. Not like this, but he made it good, and now it's in an evil condition. And so he is still the one who is over it. And he came into it, into this dark, darkness and this lost estate, and he came because the world was in need of a Savior. God so loved the world in spite of its sinful estate. 1 John 2, 16-17 says, For all that is in the world, the darkness of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he's still over the world, but this is generated from within this world. And the world is passing away along with its evil desires. And so this world system is repugnant to God. It's repugnant. God looks at the world among you and me that we live in, and it's repugnant. It's evil. It's sinful. We see it all the time, and yet God so loved the world that he came to redeem sinners. It's absolutely incredible. And so going on, John says that the world, being in darkness and in hardened rebellion, did not know him, or you could say they did not recognize him. And then in verse 11, he came to his own. The neuter is used there, which means he's saying his own home or his own homeland. He came to his own homeland. He, he came to Israel. He came to Jerusalem, the city. He, he came to the temple. He came to his own homeland as a Jew and his own people, the Jewish people, who presumably were waiting for him for many hundreds of years, did not receive him. They carried on as they did even in the Old Testament. So Jesus came into the world, and the first thing that as the true light comes into the world, to give light to everyone, and like I said, we'll talk about that, he came into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world in general did not know him, even he came to his own homeland, to the nation of Israel, and his own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. You can look up on your own time here, Isaiah 65, 2-3, or Jeremiah 7, 25-26, where the Old Testament talks about their constant rejection of God, and they were doing the same thing. But now look back at verse 9. One of the things which John, again, says about the true light is that it gives light to everyone. Now, for the true light to give light to everyone, it can be a reference to inner illumination, as in he, he gave knowledge through his incarnation to everyone on the face of the earth. You understand? It could be that. So they come, they see, he gives this light to everyone and in inner light that sees that Jesus is, is God. It's illuminated before them. He was coming, his coming, it's kind of like a new revelation that accompanies the general revelation and it gives light to everyone without distinction. So he could say that the true light which gives light to everyone 
it's manifested, right, was coming into the world. But it can also mean, that light word, mean to shed light upon something. So to make something visible or to bring something to light. Is that, you understand the difference? To bring something to light, to shine on something so that now it was in darkness and now you see it. He gives light to everyone in that sense. Something when Jesus came into the world, the true light, he manifested an objective reality among mankind. This is the light that he gives. And he makes visible two groups of people. He divides humanity. His coming divided humanity between those who hate the light, just as verses 10 to 11 said, and those who did not know him or receive him, and between those who do. This is what Jesus, when the true light came, that sheds his light on into this dark world, he divides humanity. Some receive him and believe, and some reject him in unbelief. He makes it visible. And so verses 12 to 13, this is why John, this is what he goes on to say. He says, but contrasting the first group, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the true light, which gives light to everyone, he was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, his own people rejected him, but there were a group of people who did receive him and believe on him, and these were the children of God. This is the light that Jesus shines into the world. This is what the true light of Christ does. He comes into the darkness of the world and makes visible those who belong to God and are born of him. So John will say in chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, everyone likes to quote John 3.16, but let me read it for you here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so you have this division. Then Jesus goes on to say, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light 
lest his works should be exposed. That's group one. Jesus shines. Those in darkness, like rats, flee the light. Or like an owl, or like a bat that flees the light. When Christ shines, they love their sin and their deeds so much that they will not run to Jesus. But those who belong to Jesus, Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Two groups of people. One flee to Christ, one flees away. And John says three things about those who flee to Christ here, about their birth. You'll notice he says there in verse 13, they were given the right to become children of God. And then verse 13 says, who were born, and he lists three things about their birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So the first thing he says, not of blood. That is to say that the new birth that the light brings does not come about for people because of their family lineage. This is why even though Jesus came to his own people of the same lineage, many didn't receive him. Being the physical seed of Abraham was no guarantee of a new birth. It does not in and of itself reproduce the faith of Abraham because of your lineage. And this is important for you younger people growing up. You are not saved because your parents are saved. You are not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You are not saved by your blood relations. You are saved by God alone. So you are going to be born not of blood lineage, but you're going to be born of God in a new birth. Secondly, he says they are not born of the will of the flesh. That is to say, you cannot simply make yourself a Christian. You understand that? You can't simply by your own will, say, I am a Christian today. Just like think of it this way, if you have a favorite sports team, or maybe you want to play for the police, be a work for the police, or you want to um, be a Marine, you can't just walk down to the local store and buy on your favorite sports team and put on the jersey or buy a police uniform or buy a military uniform and put it on and then say, today I'm a Marine. Can't do that. You need to be enlisted into the Marines. You need to be brought into the Marines. You can't just claim one day by the will of the flesh, today I'm a Christian. Tomorrow, maybe not. But today I am, I'm wearing the uniform. This makes me a Christian. So many people in our world think of it this way. 
They think that being a Christian is like putting on a uniform and by their own will and their own hard work that they will simply act like a Christian as if to say, from now on, I'm going to be a Christian. John says, no. No, he says, you are children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That's a very fleshly way to think about it. Third, he says that they are born not of the will of man. Now, this is important, too. That is to say, no man can simply declare you to be born of God. You can go before a priest. You can go to your favorite pastor You can go and be baptized. You can go and take sacraments. You can go and do all kinds of things. And some man might tell you, you are born of God. You are saved. I'm telling you, you're saved. You're a Christian. And John says, no. Children of God are not born of blood. They are not born of of the will of the flesh, and nor are they born of the will of some man. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. Period. Your salvation, your redemption, your new birth, your faith in Christ is a work of Almighty God and Him alone. The flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Do not marvel that Jesus says, you must be born again. And that by the Spirit of God. And so the true light separates His children. Children of his are separated from children of wrath and darkness, and they're marked by how they respond to the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you, beloved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not? And have you received him as your savior? Have you availed yourself of his saving grace and love, or are you still in darkness? The Gospel of John is going to draw that line in the sand for us and point us to Christ. And we are all called to do what John the Baptist did. Point people to the true light. Point people to the true light that God's elect might be saved. Now, I'm going to close with this. We are not prophets like John the Baptist, right? We are not prophets like John the Baptist, but we are called to bear witness to Christ with our lives just as he was. We are now in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are to walk as children of light, and we are to shine as lights in this dark world that give glory to Christ. Whoever follows Christ doesn't walk in darkness, but they have the light of life. And so, Jesus said that following him many times in 
the Gospels that following him and being a light in the world would lead to trials and persecutions, right? Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so for many Christians, the cost of bearing witness to Christ can be martyrdom. And it was for John the Baptist, and it was for our sister Becky Bass. She and her husband Bob committed their lives to serving Christ in a very difficult place. They were there to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. They were there to care for those who were sexually abused and unloved and abandoned. They were there to reach them with the light of Christ and the true gospel, to reach the unloved and abused, to bring them the hope of Christ, to tell them about the love of Almighty God and how he came and took on flesh to come into this world to save sinners, to make atonement for their sin by his blood. Becky made it her aim in life to reflect the true light of God in this world and to bear witness to him by her life, and she faithfully followed our Lord even to death. I think it's safe to say that she understood the words of our Lord in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, and she took them to heart. You, beloved, are the light of the world. Now I'm saying this to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says to us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. John the Baptist did that. Our sister Becky Bass did that. Beloved, may God help us to continue in the work that he has set before each of us to do, no matter what the cost. This is why we have been sent to bear witness to the true light of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the time we could spend together to reflect on this prologue and and how you used one John the Baptist to proclaim the truth, and he did so faithfully as you had called him to do. Our sister has done the same, and you have called her home. Neither of them look with envy or sadness, but they rejoice because they are in your presence. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful to what you have called us to do, 
which is to bear witness not to ourselves, but to the true light of the world. And we know you will do that, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. And so now we have the privilege here of coming to the Lord's table. We come to the Lord's table to remember, Rory, you could come up if you're ready, to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to save us, to remember his life and his, to remember his sacrifice, the giving of his life to die for our sins and shed his blood. And so that's what we're going to celebrate here. And, and I want to remind you that this is reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are saved. This is reserved for those who are covered and have their sins atoned for. And so if you're visiting with us and you are saved and you've been redeemed and you've um, placed your faith in Christ and you've been baptized, uh, you're welcome to join us and to celebrate what Christ has done. If you're not, then we'd ask you not to partake. And if you have sin that you have not confessed, we ask that you confess that sin as a believer, confess it, flee from it, repent of it before you come and partake of the Lord's table. But we do this and we partake together because we know that this is a picture of God's grace to us. So in other words, don't be afraid to confess your sin and receive the forgiveness that Christ has. He already knows you've done it. He already knows our behaviors and our thoughts. So bring it before him and receive his grace. So we'll come up row by row. Let me pray for the elements, and then we will take it together after everyone's received. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless this bread and you would bless uh, this juice uh, that we partake in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can be in fellowship with you and that we can be welcomed into your presence. Uh, we thank you that, that you have invited us to your table. And so may you bless it to our bodies as we confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and remember what Christ has done to save us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.